It was the crime that shocked the country. Jason Corbett lost his life at the hands of his wife Molly and her father Thomas Martins. Hit him in the head. With what? With a baseball bat. He's in bad shape. We need help. Limerick man Jason Corbett was beaten to death by his wife Molly Martins and her father Thomas Martins in the bedroom of the family home in North Carolina in the US on August the 2nd, 2015. A baseball bat and paving slab were the weapons used. In 2017, Molly and Thomas Martins were found guilty of second-degree murder and given lengthy prison sentences. But in 2021, those convictions were overturned and the father and daughter were granted a retrial. The pair have always maintained that they acted in self-defence. He was just so much stronger and I was screaming, don't hurt my dad, don't hurt my dad. And I thought, he's going to kill my father. Jason Corbett's family have repeatedly voiced their belief that his death was far from an act of self-defence. Well, I believe that Molly Martins planned to kill Jason, that he had been drugged, and the toxicology report shows the drugs in his system. Irish Times Washington correspondent Martin Wall has been in the North Carolina courtroom all week. There is no new trial because, in a sensational development on Monday, the pair accepted a plea bargain. The judge now has to decide what sentence should be applied now to Molly Martins and her father. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, they killed Jason Corbett. But how long will they serve? Molly Martins and Thomas Martins, they succeeded in getting their convictions overturned, 2021, and they won the right to a new trial. But it was a shock move, I think, to say that in court on Monday, where there would be an expectation there was going to be a trial starting, there wasn't. There's a sentence hearing because they had struck a deal. As part of that deal, what did Molly Martins and Thomas Martins plead guilty to? Thomas Martins pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter. Molly Martins did not contest a charge of voluntary manslaughter. Now, the judge said not contesting is a form of guilty plea. So essentially, we, in a shorthand way, not technically, but in a shorthand way, we can say both of them pleaded guilty to manslaughter charges as distinct from murder charges. Now, the issue that now, now arises is for the judge. And what this argument is basically now is about is how long a sentence should they receive. And there are two issues that need to be considered by the court now. One is the, 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 the balance that should be put in place between any aggravating factors and any mitigating factors. There is an issue of aggregating factors under North Carolina law as it now stands. When Jason Corbett was killed, his two young children, who were then eight and ten, were in the house on the night of the, the killing. Under North Carolina law as it now stands, that constitutes an aggravating factor in the, in the, the charges. From the defence point of view, they will be putting forward mitigating arguments. And basically, they have argued that there are loads of mitigating factors. They, this is where the issue of um, allegations of uh, domestic violence, physical and, and verbal, comes into play. So they, they will be seeking to try lessen whatever sentence the judge may have in mind by pleading these mitigating factors. The prosecution, on the other hand, will want to lengthen the sentence that the judge has in mind on the basis of what they say were aggravating factors in the case. The judge maintained that in a worst-case scenario for the people with the worst records, which will not, bear in mind, be the, the Martins, you, the, a person with a worst, worst record could get up to 17 years in jail 
as a result of this uh, uh, um, voluntary manslaughter uh, uh, charges. On the other hand, at the extreme end of mitigation, they could walk away from the courthouse next week with pro- on probation. So they are the extremes, the ranges that are there, and the judge will have to decide where to call it somewhere between those ranges, in within that range. So there's a huge amount at stake for everybody. Absolutely. Obviously, for the Martins, they have already spent um, three years, in, in excess of three years in jail. For the, the Corbett family, they maintain they are looking for justice, obviously, for, their, um, for, for Jason Corbett. And they also argue that what is happening and what has been happening on the part of the Martins is that in their arguments of mitigation, that what they're doing is not only to have they been responsible for the death of Jason Corbett, but they are now seeking to blacken his name as part of a a means to lessen their sentence. That is their, that would be the view of the family, the Irish family, the, the, the Corbett, the wider Corbett family from Ireland. Now, you've been in court every day reporting on the hearing. And what the court is hearing from the Martins family is, I think, really disturbing. I mean, as you explained, it's because they're trying to chip away at the sentence, if you like. They need to put forward all these, what they claim are mitigating factors. Now, from the time of Jason Corbett's murder until now, Molly Martins and her father, Thomas, they've maintained that it was self-defence. In 2017, in court, they painted him as an abusive and controlling individual. Has Molly Martins, and I think I'm right in saying she didn't take to the stand in the court originally, has she added anything new to this picture of Jason Corbett presented to the court? No, they are reinforcing that that, that portrayal as they, as they are portraying it. Um, they they maintain the the Martins and and bear in mind as of now neither the Thomas Martins or Molly Martins have taken the stand in this case and it's 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 unknown and unlikely I think that they will so what we're actually seeing is a reprisal a rep- of the evidence that they gave what we had over the last couple of days were um, police officers talking about what was said to them by the Martins on the day of the murder in two thousand fifteen. And yesterday and the day before yesterday, we had video recordings of their video interviews with police. They basically made the same allegations. So we're hearing again the allegations of uh, domestic violence, of essentially bullying, controlling behavior, physical violence, verbal, verbal abuse. That is the portrayal of Jason Corbett they are laying out to the court. As I say, it's evidence that was originally given to police in 2015. And we're hearing it again in this particular hearing. Now, Jason Corbett was a widower when he first met Molly Martins. She came to Ireland to work essentially as a a live-in nanny, as an au pair uh, for the family. Now, on Monday, uh, we heard her defence counsel saying that Molly had growing concerns about the death of Jason Corbett's first wife, Margaret, in, in 2006, Tell me about that. Yeah, the, the, the counsel in setting out his opening statement essentially at the start of it, we didn't go into it in any great detail, but he said there would be evidence uh, down the line or presumably over the next few days that Molly Martins was increasingly concerned that Jason Corbett's first wife, Margaret, did not die of an asthma attack as had been maintained, but that there was a possibility of a homicide, that she had actually been strangled and that... Molly Martins was concerned and had confided this to confidants. Now we have to wait and see who these people are. 
um, that she, the same fate could befall her as that, that, was, that, that was the quote. So basically, now the significance of this is, is that on the night of Jason Corbett's killing, the Corbett, the Martins family, but the Martins, the Molly and her father, Tom, maintained that Jason Corbett grabbed her around the neck and was choking her. And I think what they're trying to suggest here was that there may be a pattern here, that this may have happened to his first wife. Now, there is no evidence of this. Jason Corbett's first wife, Margaret, died of an asthma attack. And there were witnesses, a member of her family, I think her sister, was present when the asthma attack actually happened. Now, we will have to wait and see the evidence of this, the evidence that the Martins are putting forward. All we got was this tantalizing and startling claim that was made in an opening statement that there would be evidence down the road on this issue. But we have not heard that evidence yet. We have not heard the witnesses. We've not heard who they are. Presumably, that evidence will materialize over the coming days, because this uh, hearing may last well into next week, perhaps to the end of next week. So we'll hear this over the coming days. Um, and we'll have to wait and see the nature of the evidence and how strong that evidence is. But as I said, what we've had is this is a, an assertion that has been made by Molly Martin's counsel that this evidence would be presented, but we have not seen that evidence as of yet. Now, the court has been shown quite a number of videos, uh, as you say. On Tuesday, um, the court viewed an interview carried out by police with the father, Thomas Martins, just a few hours after the killing of Jason Corbett. How did he characterise his daughter's relationship with the Limerick man? He basically said that it was uh, cruel, abusive and controlling. They were the three adjectives that he used in relation to it. I think in relation to controlling, I think one of the claims he made was that he said when he played golf with them, when he played golf with his son-in-law, his then son-in-law, that he would, he would, he would phone his wife hole after hole as they played golf. And the argument was that he wanted, he, he wanted access to her phones, to her computer. He wanted to see what she was doing. That was the evidence that was actually portrayed. He was asked about, uh, he said he didn't hear about physical violence. But he said Molly Martins may have spoken to her mother, who would be Tom Martin's wife in relation to that, but she didn't speak to him about it. Now, there was evidence read into the case from Molly Martin's mother, Sharon Martins. Now, Sharon Martins did not give a video, uh, did not give a video um, recording. She made a statement to police and the prosecution seemed to be maintaining that because her husband was facing the charges, they could not cross-examine her because of the issue of not uh, the law preventing a wife be, or a husband being compelled to give evidence against her spouse. So she gave a statement and in that statement she said she suspected there was physical violence going on. That She suspected this but she had been told about verbal attacks essentially. So the Martins, both of them, maintained that there was something untoward going on within this marriage. That there was the, the, the mother meant she suspected that there was physical violence going on. Tom Martins gave evidence that there was controlling behavior uh, going on. And they also, which was an interesting piece, was there was evidence that they had spoken to Jason Corbett's children. Now, the children, this word, this is also very crucial in the case. The two children were the children of Jason Corbett's marriage to his first wife. They are not Molly Martin's biological children. And the, the, they were not adopted by her. They were his children living with him in America and his second wife. The, the 
the evidence given to the court was that there were the, the let, let us call them the grandparents, the Martin, the Tom and Sharon Martin, that they were concerned about the fighting that was going on between Jason and Molly. And they gave the children what they call code words, that if they rang them and said for the case of the, the boy, the 10 year old boy, the code word was galaxy. And for the eight year old girl, it was the word was peacock. And if they rang up the grandmother, as you say, the Sharon Martins and said peacock or galaxy and then put down the phone, she would know that there was something going on and would ring the police or do something or come come to the house. Now, traveling to the house would not be easy because they lived in Knoxville in Tennessee, which is a four to five hour drive from where Jason and Molly Martins actually lived. But they would do something that they they, they gave the children code words to use to alert the Martins, uh, Tom and Sharon, if things were getting out of hand in the house. So Molly's parents, Sharon and Thomas, they were visiting on that August night. Uh, They were sleeping downstairs in the basement. Sharon Martins gave a statement of what happened that night on August the 2nd. What did she say? Yes, she basically said that they arrived in the the evening about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, that they had uh, pizza. Jason Corbett's young son, 10-year-old son, had come back from a party Uh, He spoke to them and they all went to bed somewhere after midnight and that in the early hours of the morning, she sorry, she also maintained that Jason Corbett had been drinking uh, during the day. He went to bed. They all went to bed. And in the early hours of the morning, she said she heard a commotion upstairs. She heard screaming and she heard thumping noises and that her husband, Tom Martins, got out of bed. He had brought with them a baseball bat, which the intention was to give as a present to the young, uh, to Jason Corbett's uh, 10-year-old son. They hadn't actually given to him because he'd been at the party. That Tom Martins picked up the baseball bat and went upstairs with the words that he was either going to try calm down the situation or he was going to call the police. She maintains that um, the, the, the noise stopped. Um, they can't, she thought the, the, the issue had calmed down and she went back asleep again. And the next she heard was that a police officer woke her up, uh, obviously a couple of hours later, woke her up and asked her to mind the two uh, children who he'd brought down from the, the, the upstairs in their, from their bedrooms, which were at the top of the house. Now, at this point, the prosecution intervened and they said that their view, the prosecution's view, was that Sharon Martin's evidence was not credible. And they asked if a woman who has given evidence that she was concerned that her daughter was experiencing physical physical and verbal uh, attacks. And suddenly in the middle of the night, she hears screaming and thumping noises and her husband gets up and leaves the room with a baseball bat. How credible is it that she would just fall back asleep and do nothing in relation to it? So that was the prosecution thought to undermine uh, the evidence of Sharon Martins and made the point that they could not cross-examine her because of this ban on spousal testimony one against the other, or compelling spouses to give evidence one against, against their spouse. So that was the uh, that was Sharon Martin's evidence. As I said, it is contested by the prosecution, and the prosecution asked the judge not to give it substantial weight. Coming up, Molly Martin reacts to the video of her statement. I'll continue my conversation with Martin Wall after this short break. Jason Corbett's children were young at the time. Sarah was eight and Jack was just 10. And when their dad was killed, they were in the house 
obviously. Um, they gave statements to social workers afterwards. And one of the reasons that Molly Martins and her father won a retrial was that these statements were not admitted to court. What do the children tell social workers in the United States after their father's death in the video that was shown to the court on Wednesday? Okay, we have to bear in mind this. There is important uh, context to this. These recordings took place in a a centre called Dragonfly. It's a a centre for child advocacy and it supports children who are in abuse uh, circumstances. These took place four days after the death of Jason Corbett and in the afternoon just after his funeral. That's that, um, we also bear in mind is that these statements are deeply contested, str- strongly contested. In fact, later when the children were in Ireland, the statements were recanted. But this is the evidence that was given on. This is the recordings were played on the day of the. Um, sorry, as recorded in Dragonfly four days after the after the the, the death of Jason Corbett, and basically the the boat boat the. Uh, uh, ten-year-old as he was then, Jack Corbett, basically said that uh, that that his father had physically and verbally hurt his mom. Now, his mom, he refers to in that context, is Molly Martins. They he spoke of seeing him shouting uh, on one occasion, hitting her. On that, that sometimes she would she would shout back. Sometimes she would cry. Sometimes she would just roll up in a ball uh, under the covers when this was going on. The, the the young girl Sarah, who was then eight, um, said again, gave evidence of shout, uh, shouting that he um, that dad, as in Jason Corbett, would get angry with mom if lights were left on or relation to bills. That he would shout, he would call her names, that he'd pull her hair, and that he hit her. Now, as I say, this is the evidence that was given to the social workers in the United States on the day. The court will hear probably today, probably on Thursday, maybe Friday details of how those statements were recanted when the children returned to Ireland. So I suspect we will probably hear arguments down the road when we have two conflicting sets of evidence. We will hear arguments down the road as to whether there was coaching going on of these then young children in the United States or in Ireland or both. So we'll hear those conflicting statements We've heard one. We will probably hear the other not too long into the future. It'll be up to the judge to assess what he believes in relation to these particular uh, conflicting um, evidence that will be given by the children from their two separate injuries. Now, another video the court was shown this week was of Molly Martins when she was being questioned by the police just a few hours, I think maybe three, four hours after uh, Jason's body was discovered. What did it reveal about her interactions with the police on the night? She was not under arrest at the time. She was just giving an interview to the sheriff's office, deputies from the sheriff's office in the in, in the local uh, locality. And basically, she, she gave evidence again in relation to the domestic situation in the house. Uh, she was talked to, asked about the fighting that was going on with her husband. And she said there was they were fighting forever. She maintained that there had been physical attacks from early on in the relationship, a few months in in the relationship. Uh, she spoke of that she had a condition in her leg that she has, a, she described a clump of additional veins that press on a nerve and that accidentally on purpose, her husband, when angry, would uh, stand on it or hit, you know, uh, stomp on it, I think was the phrase that was used, 
and would actually cause her pain. She maintained that on one occasion he hit her head off the bedstead of a bed. She went to hospital and she thought she needed an MRI, but the hospital maintained she just had a stress uh, headache and gave her uh, painkillers. The prosecution intervened and said, well, there was no evidence from the hospital records of any form of abrasions or cuts or injuries to her head that would be consistent with the um, with physical uh, violence. So, but again, she portrayed the issue of, she said she did not tell um, anyone, her her, uh, her family, let's say, her mother or father, in relation to the physical abuse that she was experiencing. She said she had about the verbal abuse, but not the physical abuse. And she said she was concerned that the children would be taken from her. She was concerned that, uh, she said, the children were not US citizens, they were Irish citizens. They were not her biological children. And she feared that if there was a breakup, the Jason Corbett could take the children away from her. When he died, when he was, uh, again, this interview has been taking place with the police within hours of his death. She said, what's going to happen next? And the, the police uh, detective, the late the woman detective who was speaking to her, maintained that there was a legitimate concern that the biological family, as in the Irish, the Corbett family in Limerick, who were the biological relatives of the of these two children, could actually seek custody. Molly Martins at that point sobbed and she said, but I raised them. So now, as we've seen from the evidence from the children, they refer to her as mom. They refer to her as, you know, they, they consider that she was their, essentially their mother. And um, for the, so they, she had raised, she had been involved in their life from a very young age, particularly the, the young girl, Sarah. So they, that is an issue that there will be here more of. I think that would be an issue in relation to the, the, the custody of the of the children and where that if that if and what role that played afterwards in the in the whole affair. So, but that that the 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 issue that Molly Martin's maintained was was that her husband was abusive, physically, verbally, and was getting angry in in, in his treatment and dealing with the family in their house in North Carolina in two thousand fifteen. Now, as well as the disturbing evidence, there was some drama this week because when that video was shown of Molly Martins giving her statement, been questioned by the police shortly after Jason Corbett's death, she she fled the courtroom. It wasn't that she got up and flounced out of the courtroom. The court had taken a break at the end of the hearing and she left in tears. She didn't run out of the courtroom in, in mid, mid, uh, mid session. Um, and she went into the car, went into the corridor behind the uh, at the outside of, outside of the courtroom. You know, and, and by the time the court had resumed, she had composed herself and was uh, was back in her seat in the front of the courtroom. So you're there in the court. How has Molly Martins and her father handled themselves throughout this sentencing hearing? I mean, bear in mind, both of them have been in prison. They've done time already, three over three years. They've been fighting very, very hard all the way to this, the Supreme Court. They've been fighting hard for a retrial. How have they been conducting themselves? They, they seem calm. By and large, we, as I said, we saw the issue yesterday of the the, the the tears, but that was a you know it was a it was a moment in an emotional moment in in time, so to speak. It's not that has not been happening all the time. They they arrive every day. They they have their own family as they sit at the front of the court uh, with their lawyers. Immediately behind that, there is a row, if not two rows, in some days of their immediate family who give um, who are there to support them. On the opposite side, literally across the aisle from the, from them, 
in the first two rows of the public gallery of the on the other side of the court are the Corbett family and the wider Corbett family and their supporters from uh, from Ireland. They don't meet, they don't mix, they don't they don't tend to that we've seen interact. They keep themselves to themselves. They seem quite calm. They come in and out every day. They walk past. No, no one is speaking to media. There will probably be comments, maybe comments at the end of this case when it when when it when it is over. But uh, people just come in and do their business, and the judge is keeping a very firm um, firm control of the uh, the whole process. Um, has made clear that they will not tolerate outbursts or anything from the public gallery that the public and the media are there just to observe and that's the role and he controls the trial and that is that is what's happening it's just proceeding um, we don't have a, a final uh, date of a ending conclusion of this there will be evidence that we've been told will happen will, will, will be given and witnesses will be given be turning up into uh, the middle of next week so I'm assuming that this will run perhaps until Thursday or Friday of next week Martin, in terms of those pleas of voluntary manslaughter, that in North Carolina carries a maximum sentence of 17 years. But there's a minimum sentence and that's of probation. Now, look, there are no winners in a murder case. You know, not really. Jason Corbett is dead. The trauma, for especially for the children, can't be measured. But we do know that the sentence won't be anything like the sentence that the pair were given in 2017. I mean, look, Thomas Martin, he was probably going to die in prison, actually, uh, if he had served the sentence that he was given in 2017. So is there a sense that even at this stage, even if there's, there's the sentence hasn't been handed down, that this is a big win for Molly Martins and her father, Thomas? Well, certainly, the if you're in jail for, if you're sentenced to jail for 20 to 25 years and your conviction is quashed, by the courts and the courts found that the trial judge had erred in how he conducted the first trial. I suppose that is a that is a victory. It gives you another opportunity to fight your case again in relation to 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 going to prison. Now, as you say, they did serve three years plus. And the issue of the, the plea deal that they agreed, as you say, there will be a lesser sentence, but it is a lesser charge. The prosecution have brought a lesser charge. So you you, you can't be sentenced for us, you can't receive a sentence that is correlates with murder for a sentence that is actually manslaughter. And that has been agreed now with the prosecution. We we don't know publicly, and we'll have to wait and see at the end of the trial, I suspect. The 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 the, the Corbett family have not commented publicly. The indications are that they will at the end of the case, on their view of the situation, are they disappointed or unhappy that the Martins were not pursued on murder charges again? And Whatever the outcome is, it's going to be that the Martins are going to, are very likely and will, will, I think, by and large, will receive a sentence that is less than the sentence they were that was handed down in 2017. But again, with the proviso that in 2017 it was they were sentenced on a murder charge, and this is in relation to manslaughter. Now I remember at the trial in 2017, there was considerable media attention on it. Well, obviously, specifically here, Jason Corbett being from Limerick. Um, And I know that there was considerable media attention in his locality in America. What's the situation now? Is this sentencing hearing getting much media attention? It is getting coverage. There's a, there are a number of Irish media here, the Irish Times, RTE, uh, the Independent, etc. And media representatives from the local area in North Carolina. But outside of that, it is not really getting a great deal of coverage in the United States. 
That's it for today. For more of Martin Wall's reporting from the US, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by John Casey. In the news, we'll be back on Monday.